There are days when we wake up with the most random ideas. Then we end up wondering if these thoughts also pop into other people's minds. Not everything makes sense, and I feel like some of my thoughts shouldn't even be said aloud. I'm a clinical psychologist and part-time psychology professor, and in this podcast, I'd talk about these random ideas and in between maybe discuss interventions to some of life's common questions. Because who knows, maybe you'd find connections between your mind, body, and behaviors. This is Psychopage, listening to that voice at the back of my head. Welcome to another episode of That Voice at the Back of My Head. Today I felt a little bit different. I was trying to fix my books and papers in my room and I came across this thick catalog from the Academy of Art University in the US, specifically in San Francisco. And it was in 2013 that I applied for possible scholarship and I was so amped to just hear anything from the admissions office. And instead of getting just an automated email, they sent me what seemed to be 300 full-color pages of why I should try to get in. So possibly knowing who I am and what I'm doing at the moment, you'd probably know that I wasn't able to get in because of several reasons like I needed to actually be in the US to qualify for any scholarship at that time. Plus, I just started a job and I couldn't possibly afford to enroll even just a basic course and such is the limitation of living in a third world country. Well, there are indeed miraculous things that happen, but sadly this is not one of those stories, and instead I'd be taking you on another trip to memory lane with this episode, and it's all about the arts. One of the truths that I learned about myself was in high school, and the truth is that I deeply loved the arts, especially visual arts which for me was wanting, um, no, dying to enroll in a fine arts course in college. In fact, my high school yearbook does read, I wanted to become a famous artist, a fashion or interior designer, which I believe taps into my passion for aesthetics as well. But again, living in the Philippines does not make one of those choices an easy one to do which led me to enrolling in a nursing course previously before uh, becoming a psychologist, which caused me a lot of suffering, but I'll reserve that for another episode. And just to be clear, I was enrolled in a psychology course later on. And no bias, well, actually a lot of bias in this episode, but I find artists, painters, musicians, thespians, and writers to be some of the noblest people because of the refinement and the passion that is invested in every stroke, every note, and every word set into motion. But the reciprocal appreciation doesn't often meet that investment, let alone pay much. Now going back a few years more in elementary or high school, I knew that I did have a particular skill in drawing, painting, and creating anything aesthetically pleasing. So. I wouldn't claim to be the best, uh, despite me wanting to claim it, but if there was any other job that I would just up and leave my current job for, it would be to become a full-time visual artist. So for every school function or contest, I was usually in the background fixing something or painting a backdrop or helping to build something, which 
is why a lot of my uniforms back then couldn't stay purely white or dark blue because of paint stains or the usual um, amount of dirt from lying on the floor sketching or getting at the right angle to draw something. Not to mention staying at least two to three hours after class to finish some sort of piece to be displayed in a few days or weeks. And this continued until college when I joined a theater company where I went full-on thespian while being mind-blown at how bad I was often in a lot of exercises that needed to be to go all-in in becoming a character. Now, being the nerd I thought I was back then, I was awfully and painfully shy. And some people say it's the natural thing being of the famously known shyest tribes uh, called the Ibaloi and ethnic group in this part of the Cordilleras or the mountainous regions of the northern Philippines who are known to be one of the shyest really. In a way, I was raised to be quite a silent child and which worked for me because I had all this time to scribble and draw and just be in my room drawing and painting. So many things that would have been appropriate for Instagram at this time and age, which now I post uh, regularly. Um, but way back then, you would probably identify me as a very much introverted and totally out of my league if I thought I was going to get into any theater performance. And true enough, people that knew me really did not expect me to go for it. And hell, I wouldn't have imagined myself going for it either. And yet, because I was me, I did go for it, not really knowing what I was getting myself into. In some ways, it would be somehow an inconsistent behavior to what people who study personality might be. Um, however, as personality is a vast area that psychologists do familiarize with in terms of explaining, analyzing, and predicting behaviors, we know that by now, personality traits do change over time, and changes do often happen in even a short period of time, possibly due to factors like a significant life change, experiences, and even conscious decisions to somehow modify the way a person behaves or lives. I wouldn't say it was a total change for me and my personality, but I did believe that I wanted to go for something new. Because if I wasn't going to learn about the arts academically, I needed to get it from somewhere and in the process do something about this terrible shyness that I had, which sometimes stopped me from entering a doorway or joining any contest that needed me to speak in front of a lot of people, let alone um, break down or cry or be vulnerable in a scene if it allowed me to. I wasn't quite knowledgeable of the groups I was about to join and in truth all I wanted to do was to be taken in by a group and I'd be living my life painting, building things and bring myself in a lot of creative things that I'm good at. I had three choices at that point, and it was either acting, singing, or dancing. And among the three, dancing is definitely not my strongest point because I was indeed told by many people that I danced like a tree. And it's funny because I was pulled in a lot of school programs and presentations that where dancing was involved. And I was it was thanks to one of my best friends back then who was a really good dancer and decided to bring me along for the fun of it. It was fun and still embarrassing and weirdly satisfying and that's another fact that I tend to do. Do things where I know I might embarrass myself but still do it anyway and live to tell the tale. 
And it's quite interesting to note that a lot of my patients and clients do have that difficulty to stare at something that is arguably terrifying, such as staring strangers in the face with the fear of possibly messing up your lines, or that people will judge everything that you do or say. And sometimes these fears and thoughts happen outside the performing situation. And for some people, it becomes a huge roadblock that they haven't got to get past. But for people who do find a way around these great obstacles, it's often phrases like, the show must go on. Or like one of my friends told me before, if you fall off stage, make sure that you do it theatrically. Um, Personally, the show must go on has become a mantra that has worked a lot for me in the past, especially when I was faced with tough challenges like taking my boards, accepting rejection letters from editors, and even just getting bad comments from someone sometimes. Within sessions with clients, that is something that I tend to ask sometimes. Like, do you have something that you have to say to yourself when you're approaching something difficult? Because it often signals some sort of psychological resource within the person that they may tap into, especially when they get in trouble. Something we call a mantra originated from Hinduism and Buddhism and is a word or a phrase that is repeated in order to meditate or to concentrate. And through the years, for me, the show must go on or the thought of moving on despite encountering a snag or a problem within the most important performances that is my life has become a thing that I hold on to, even when I'm at the brink of giving up. In fact, the use of a mantra alongside mindfulness exercises has been studied and the results are quite positive, which in the list of interventions, if done right, would most likely produce good outcomes for people that may have difficulties with sleep, anxiety, and even motivation. But as I see in a lot of people that I talk to, having one and maintaining it long term is quite a process and for me it was a personal and hands-on experience of being in theater that made me believe in the somewhat cliche phrase. And it's probably a good idea to evaluate or ask yourself, does it work? if you do plan to adopt a particular mantra of your own. Now before I get sidetracked again, going back to my first audition, it was actually with my friends at the near corner of the school's theater, stretching and somewhat warming up for the auditions that were scheduled to happen that day. It was a few weeks after enrollment in uh, the school and I'd known about the Center for Culture in the Arts or CCA of St. Louis University or SLU, one of the biggest schools in Baguio City where I live. And the particular group that I was joining, the theater group was called Tanghalang SLU, its resident theater company, where I eventually stayed for all my years in college. I felt so anxious and I was trying to half memorize a small monologue I needed to perform in front of whoever might be watching me. So naturally, I was thinking, if I didn't show up, they probably would just forget, right? But at the same time, I was glued to that pebble stone steps, um, embarrassed to just suddenly leave out of fear. And what did help me at that point was the fact that I was auditioning after my friends, who were also quite determined to get in. So in my mind, I was also thinking, if they are willing to try this, then I might as well try it. And 
it's that emotional support especially when you're about to head into some new uh, thing that's exciting and also with a 70% chance of failure that helps push you into doing new things and true enough most people um, whom I auditioned with still remain to be some of the best persons I've been friends with for more than a decade even through the tough times and that's also some value that a lot of extracurriculars actually give students apart from what is available from their own personal life spaces. Getting the chance to meet new people, learn from them, and possibly be their friends in the process. The tough thing about auditioning was the fact that they called you one at a time, so there are no friends to hide behind, and I said to myself, this is it, I'm about to face Judgment Day. And inside the room was the director, who I came to know as Sir Dan Riopay, along with a number of people who were already members of the same theater group and when I was asked about performing I merely said I'm not really an actor and I just read the monologue from the piece of paper I brought along with me it was dead silent like you could literally hear my heartbeat it was a monologue from the crucible and the good thing for me was that I was relatively better at English at most uh, of my peers so that was a positive feedback given to me at least but performance wise I totally flunked out then I remembered saying if I couldn't be an actor you could use me in creating sets backdrops props and maybe a lot of things and I distinctly remember saying I want to actually learn to be a performer despite you know not showing any sliver of talent right now and if you were to define choking, my picture should definitely be in that page of the dictionary where you might find the word. This podcast is not a substitute for any form of mental health intervention or counseling. Though some of it may be therapeutic for you, there are also some things that are quite opinionated and wouldn't sit well with you, and that's okay because these points may be points of new debate or new conversation. But for those listening and do think that at some point you need counseling or just someone to talk to you about your experience, know that there are mental health professionals willing and available to listen to you and some of them are on different social media sites. That being said, please do be careful and find reputable and trained professionals because getting the right kind of help is also important. I remember the same thing happen again a few more times and I really choked and that included another audition where I needed to sing this time for the annual major production of the whole uh, CCA and the initial audition wasn't as bad and I got that feedback that I could actually sing so okay I knew before then that I wasn't tone deaf and that I know how to carry a tune but there was this thought of or that ominous voice at the back of my head that told me that what if you don't do good and I remember feeling to, that feeling to be quite similar to what my clients described to be either a performance anxiety or that simple thought that they might not measure up to expectations especially when you are put on the spot and it's quite similar again to that fight flight or freeze situation where you either try to best 
to address to the situation, walk away from it, or simply do nothing. My initial reaction was to flee and, consequentially, I didn't get a chance to perform in any major role. And from my goal of becoming a better performer and someone who would get a chance to be less shy and be more confident of himself, I didn't think I was going anywhere. But the good thing about opportunities like this is the fact that it does come again and you have another chance to prove yourself the following year. So the next time it came, I told myself I'm going to do it. But I was still so nervous that I felt my voice breaking, my hands shaking, and I needed to pee. Which for behavioral manifestations of anxiety, I met all those criteria. And most probably, and it prevented me from even moving, and I was just so out of it. I ended up singing with a very mousy and nasal voice that I wouldn't at all pass and I didn't get a call back. Now the good thing about myself is that I tended to be relentless and I mustered all the courage I had and asked for a second chance to audition. That particular audition was for Beauty and the Beast back in 2009. It was in English, so I knew I would get the lines down easily, but I had to fight for it somehow. So I went into the room and asked for a second chance audition. But because the roles were already cast, I needed to get a yes from all the trainers to get a chance to do it. I remember our CCA director, Mrs. Rebecca Limnudud, saying yes and giving me the chance and I headed downstairs to ask for a second chance from Mrs. Normita Rio Pablico or Atibing as she is fondly called. So I felt so embarrassed to ask for something big, but at the same time, I wanted to challenge myself as well. So I was handed the sheet music and all the cassette tapes because yes, I am that old to have experienced learning and listening to music using cassette tapes and rewinding them using a pencil and rotating the tape ever slowly sometimes. So I was given a week to learn the melodies and to see if I would learn the music that fast. So every waking moment uh, in between classes, I listened to the tapes and tried to sing along with while looking at the sheet music. And while I was doing it, I was wondering, am I doing this right? Um, Do I sound okay? Am I going to be able to get this in time? And Again, the good thing is that when you have friends who are willing to help you, they truly will if you just ask them. So my friends from the Glee Club who were trained gave me tips and helped me out. And oftentimes, just singing the notes and getting the timing correctly, I was told that I was missing the soul, some sense of passion that, you know, um, is apart from just getting the notes correctly. Not to mention that I was asked to sing the piece in front of the members of the Glee Club and I was definitely shaking and sweating bullets. The way we were trained in theater was quite an experience and I learned it or well I tried to learn it during this exact experience and true enough I was able to hit the notes and was technically passable in terms of a rehearsal but the most difficult part was indeed connecting to the emotion of the song which was not something that came natural to me, especially when singing. So, remember that whole cultural shyness thing? Well, alongside it was the fact that 
It was in the early 2000s, and the thought of vulnerability and emotionality was quite taboo for guys my age, and I was so in my head. And the most difficult thing to do when connecting to music was you thinking too much. Because I did tend to have those moments when you're there, but you're also secretly seeing yourself and being so self-critical about what you're doing. Plus, I considered myself to be quite a very logical person at times, so it's always thought after thought of what I needed to do next. But a lot of what performing is not just a mere puzzle that you can automatically solve with your wits. It came to a point where I was totally croaking when you try to hit those high notes because you're thinking about it too much. I recall one of those post-rehearsal meetings where I did so bad that the only advice given to me was something in the line of, you can actually do it, you're able to do it, but you're getting in your own way. And that really stuck to me enough to try to see if I could get out of my head. And this sort of scenario seems quite familiar, especially for people that do have difficulties getting out of a demotivated phase. Or when you feel like you know how not to worry but you still end up worrying or you know it's gonna make you feel bad to text someone you, you don't like but you go ahead and you do it and feel all the more miserable. For me, it took a whole exercise of looking at myself and asking, if I were the beast, what would I be feeling? And practicing a lot of hours in front of the mirror but also imagining, for example, the torture of being called a beast and I somehow connected that to my own feelings of seeing myself as ugly or disfigured and how I would feel when I need to sing about it and somehow it clicked. Before each rehearsal, I took a lot of calm breaths and visualized myself sort of transforming into the creature and we call that process some sort of internalization which I learned later was actually visual imagery, which helped give form to the whole process of how to become this person that you aim to be. And that helped me focus better each time. And the funnier thing about the whole experience is the fact that it was freeing for me and quite interesting to see a lot of parallels between my life and the fictional character I was playing. And this, I believe, is what a lot of research on arts and other expressive therapies work. It's the incorporation of something from the person's life into the act of singing or dancing or acting or drawing that or that anything creative that some of the harshest and most painful or traumatic experiences are transformed or given form. It was indeed therapeutic for me in a way because in my mind I was going to express something about my own difficult experiences without actually talking about it. But being able to have that catharsis allowed me to unblock that thing, that block that has been there and not allowing myself to express or release what has been there and just been controlled by me unconsciously or maybe even consciously. What is interesting for that year is that in 2009, I was also involved with one of the volunteer programs that the CCA had for boys with experiences of neglect and abuse. It was a summer art camp where the facilitators, alongside other awesomely capable volunteers, taught boys the basics of visual arts, theater, singing, and dancing. And 
the common experiences included boys coming up to you and saying thank you or I was able to express my experiences better now because of this. But the real intention of doing it was mainly to teach art and not really process any emotional turmoil or trauma that they had in the past. And it was so mind-blowing for me that one of the cross-sections of psychology and the arts at that time made me invested in helping kids and becoming a psychologist as I am right now. In trying to connect the whole experience of the arts to what I'm doing right now, during therapy sections with kids and especially adolescents and some adults, I imagine this might what be what some of them might be feeling when they are put into exercises where quite possibly their drawings or output is driven by intense emotion and experiences. And some that might be able to do it, we go through exercises that could be done on their own. And this often starts with the question, if you were imagining yourself to be this person or that role, what might you be doing after identifying a possible person that they would consider a good model for them? It later moves on to questions like, what might they be doing? Or what would they be thinking? Or how might they be feeling? Which often ends up with, if you were in the same difficult situation as this character or person, what would you do? And we actually could do that whole line of questioning by ourselves. Sometimes because what I find usually happens is we are able to connect a lot of outcomes with current behaviors as well as getting other means to get to where we want to be when we question ourselves and try to see our similarities and differences between people we know who are either fictional or non-fictional and how they did with a particular situation. Nevertheless, I'm not saying that the arts is a perfect intervention on its own and it's very much subjective and we wouldn't work the same way for all people in a way that one size fits all. But the evidence is that music, dance, and other visual arts also help process trauma, contribute to better health outcomes, and even that is for um, terminal illnesses like cancer, and in some form or way produce a therapeutic environment. And it speaks loudly about why people must in some way invest in something creative or something meaningful other than the mundane you know, rat race which we sometimes live in. To cut the story short, I was able to perform as the title role of The Beast for a number of shows. And I didn't do it perfectly, but I indeed had gotten quite good reviews about who, was, who I was becoming as a performer. So the whole reason why I set out to do theater was indeed slowly coming into fruition. And people did start to notice me, well, in a good way, sometimes in a bad way. And the next time auditions came around, I didn't think or feel as anxious as I did. And at that time, I just stood firmly and did what I was supposed to do. Sing, read a line, sometimes dance, and perform the best I can. And it seems like a very short process that I could summarize in just a few minutes. But I was actually... It was actually a span of a year for me to truly incorporate the arts in my way of life and also getting to my goal of becoming a more confident or a more or less shy person in terms of my abilities and talents. And what I find is good about using the arts with different individuals is that it has a fluidity to it. And it could literally be anything 
that helps a person express themselves better. But this is not saying that you need to use the arts in every single therapy session, especially if you're training to be a mental health professional. Rather, it is just another pathway or avenue or option that is quite available to explore, and I find processing symbols and different meanings behind them bring about a sort of solidifying element for me. Or it's like a glue that somehow holds together certain elements about us that may appear separate but are truly interrelated in some way. And when that connects for me in that way, I'm thinking of that scene in Avatar where the Omatikaya are connected by the forest's pathways. And since I did rewatch Avatar, The Last Airbender, and The Legend of Korra, the interconnectedness of a lot of experiences and a lot of symbolisms and how they might mean to us subjectively, including the power of creativity that gives us life, are definitely reminders of tapping into these vast resources that somehow we haven't given notice to but are willing to try now. And it doesn't need to be a rigid training or a formal thing that requires you to rehearse day in and day out that you want to try to to go for the arts. Rather, it's just trying to pick up a paintbrush, singing to a tune, playing the guitar again, or just grooving to music with a jig, and finally finding something just to cut loose and just be. Thank you for listening to this episode of That Voice at the Back of My Head. I hope you enjoyed it, and for more episodes, please follow us on Spotify, Anchor FM, or from anywhere you get your podcast from. This is Psycho Peach. See you in the next episode.